0: Luke chapter 22, I want to continue our, our series today on Christmas hope, and I want to take a look at the hope that we have in Christ's crucifixion in the cross. Last week, we took a look at the hope that we have in Christ's coming in the, in the cradle, in the manger, in the, in the feeding trough. Today, I want to take a look at the cross of Christ. In the, in the most heinous act of all time, in the, in the most wicked display of the wickedness, the Just depravity of humanity, we find hope. And I want to say to you today from the outset, we, we think about the baby, this innocent Christ, the innocent baby Jesus who was born in a manger, born in a feeding trough, born in a watering trough. For you and I, this same Jesus, this same baby... His, his purpose, his intent in coming was to be led like a lamb to the slaughter. This baby that was, that was wrapped in swaddling cloths, this baby who the, who the shepherds worshipped, this baby who the wise men came to see, this, this little infant, innocent baby was intended to go to the cross for you and I. That is why he came. That's why God came. He stepped into the form of humanity. That's why God came and manifest himself among us as, as a man. He came under the law. He came as a baby for you and I. And in this demonstration of the, the wickedness of man and the most horrific death imaginable, we find hope. That tells me that today, no matter what you're facing, what you're going through, no matter what comes your way, you can find the hope of Christ in the middle of it. The Bible tells us that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, that in the middle of the depravity and the wickedness of man, Christ found his joy and so can you in the middle of depravity in the middle of the wicked humanity in which we live you can find hope in Christ in John chapter 18 it says for this cause I was born Jesus was being questioned and he said this cause this is the reason that I was born I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth Jesus came for you and I to be our Redeemer. He came to bring truth, to bring the reality of the salvation message to you and I. And Isaiah tells us that he was a tender plant, a root out of dry ground, that he would have no form or comeliness, that we should even look at him. He had no beauty that would attract us to him. There wasn't anything, I said it last week, about Jesus that would cause us to look at him and say, wow, he looks like a charismatic guy, I'd really like to follow him. He looks like a really cool guy. He looks, you know, like he shops at Banana Republic and he's got the trendy look going on. I really want to follow him. He's the trendy guy. Now, there was an anointing on his life. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, Peter said, with the Holy Ghost. And he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. There There was an anointing on the life of Christ that attracted men and women to him. If you think about the birth of Jesus, the coming of Christ, everything about his life, everything that he was born into, led to suffering. What a great picture, our, our suffering Savior, from the very beginning, that he would come born in a manger, not, in, not coming in as a triumphant king, but born in a stable for you and I. He was born out of marriage. You know, I think about the suffering that would come with that in that day. I mean, he was, he was scorned. The, his, Mary was looked at. As if she was having an affair, there was rumors going around about this birth, about this marriage, all, all that was happening. And if that wasn't bad enough, then Herod made a decision that he was going to kill all of the baby boys. Oh, we leave that message out in the Christmas story a lot. We talk about the star, we talk about the stable, but we forget that there was mass genocide happening at the same time. Herod was killing all of the babies out of fear of this coming king. I, I, I want to say it's happening in the days in which we live. It hasn't changed. There's a fear from the enemy that's, that's trying to stop the plans and purposes of God in our day, in our age. But I, I've got news. You cannot stop the plans and the intentions and the purposes of God. Every single life that has been slain in the name of convenience or whatever, title you want to put on it, it's murder, it's murder, and for every blood, the Bible tells us, if you go all the way back to the garden, if you go all the way back to Cain and and Adam and Eve and Abel, you go all the way back, that innocent blood is crying out, and it's crying out before the Father, it's a testimony today, it reminds us today of the days of Jesus and what was taking place in his day. His brothers didn't understand him. Jesus' half brothers. James, the writer of the book of James, the half brother of Jesus, didn't believe in Jesus as the Savior until after the resurrection. His own own family questioned who he was. Have you ever been there? He grew up in Nazareth. Remember what good could come out of Nazareth? When he began his ministry, he was hated hated by people, hated by the religious leaders, so much so that there was assassination attempts from the very start of his ministry. Can you imagine starting your ministry with an assassination attempt? I mean, I've dealt with some pretty rough people, and we have security for a reason. But But I I have to say, I have not had an assassination attempt. Thank you, Lord. I've had people threaten it, but thank you, Lord, they have not fulfilled. (laughs) He had arrest warrants on him. He had arrest warrants. People from the start of his ministry wanted him arrested, wanted him in jail. He was creating a stir. The religious leaders wanted to kill him, and his closest friends betrayed him. The people who knew him, who were closest to him. His best bud swore that he never knew him. All of those that were close to him ran off in hiding, and one of his own, the one responsible for the, the ministry finances, betrayed him and had him murdered. In Luke chapter 22, and starting in verse, I'm going to go to verse 39. They just finished the evening, the last supper. In verse 39, it says, Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, as he was accustomed. And his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you might not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, everybody say that word, agony, he prayed more earnestly. Being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. That was from the New King James Version. I'd like to read it from the Passion Translation. Jesus left the upper room with his disciples, as was his habit. And he went to the Mount of Olives, his place of secret prayer. There he told the apostles. By the way, what a a powerful statement to say that the Mount of Olives was his place of secret prayer. When Jesus comes back to rule and reign on the earth, where is he coming to? The Mount of Olives. The Bible says that when Jesus comes to the Mount of Olives, that the mountain will be split. And the, the water reservoir that's under that mount, which scientifically has been proven, the water that is under that mountain will flow out. I want you to, that that's powerful. The Jesus, the place where He prayed. When He comes back, there will be a relief. It's there's there's spiritual connotation to that, as well as just in the natural. There, He told the apostles, "Keep praying for strength to be spared from the severe test of your faith that is about to come." Isn't it interesting? That he says to them, and this is in my sermon notes, so I just kind of want to highlight as I walk through this. But isn't it interesting that Jesus told his disciples to pray that you might be spared, but the test is coming. You see, it oftentimes the Lord calls us into a place of prayer knowing that we're going to face the test. Even though we're praying, Lord, spare me. The test is still coming. That's why James wrote... Count it all joy brothers when you face trials of various kinds because the test is coming, the trial is coming. Pray that you might be spared because it 's in that place of prayer that you gain power to be sustained it's it's in that place of prayer that Jesus was praying and the angel came and strengthened him it was in that place of prayer that not only was God revealing to the son what was getting ready to take place in his life and the full scope the full picture of what was to come was now coming into focus it was there in that place of prayer that his purpose and his the plans of of the ages, were coming into focus. But it was there where God met him and strengthened him and provided for him what was to come for the journey ahead. So the test may still come, the trial you'll still face, but it's in the place of prayer that you become prepared for the journey ahead. So he tells them to, to pray. In verse 41, it says, Then he withdrew from them a short distance to be alone. Kneeling down, he prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup of agony away from me. But no matter what, your will must be mine. Jesus called for an angel of glory to strengthen him, and the angel appeared. And he prayed even more passionately, like one being sacrificed, until he was in such intense agony of spirit that his sweat became drops of blood dripping to the ground. Our suffering Savior, this agony, that word agony means to wrestle, to fight. In the the original Greek, it was an increased agony, that he, it wasn't just a state of being, but this this place of suffering and sorrow that he was experiencing increased all the more. This agony and this intense suffering. Internally, in his soul, in his mind, in his will, in his emotions, everything about him was feeling the weight and the sorrow of what was to come. He had in his view, in his his focus was coming the plan of the ages, that the suffering and the torment that was coming was coming upon him and it was coming tomorrow. It wasn't just a distant thought. This wasn't just the plan of the ages. This was the reality. And it was taking place tomorrow. He was going to suffer. And he was going to die. And he was praying. And he was praying. And his agony intensified. The weight of the reality of the will of the Father was upon him. The Bible says that he came to do the will of of the father and the weight of that will, the weight of that desire, the weight of that plan was upon him in Psalms 22. If you'll flip over there, I love how David prophesies about the, the suffering savior in which we find our hope. This this isn't a passage of scripture, what we're talking about today. Yes, it. it the, the, the tone may seem sorrowful because we take a, a deeper look at our suffering Savior. But in the middle of the sorrow is the greatest hope of the ages. In the middle of the depravity of man is the hope of the ages. I pray that today that you'll see it afresh and anew. I pray that today you'll see his sacrifice. You'll see his agony in the garden. You'll see his beating at the whipping post. You'll see the nails in his hands and his feet. That you'll see the cross, you'll see it again, but in the midst of what you see, you'll see the hope of Calvary, you'll see the hope of our suffering Savior Jesus in Psalms 22 it says my God, my God, why have you forsaken me sound familiar why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, am I not silent? But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm, a no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake their heads saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue himself. Let him deliver himself since he delights in himself. But you are he who took me out of the womb. Jesus came. You are the one who took me out of the womb. You made me trust While on my mother's breast, I was cast out, cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potshirt, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me, the congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones, they look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Hundreds of years before the crucifixion ever took place, God in his great wisdom and mercy showed David in his place of worship, in his own experience, a prophetic glimpse of what was to take place on that day. What were the apprehensions that Christ saw? What caused him to endure such agony? In Matthew chapter 20, it says, Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? He was drinking in the cup of God's wrath upon humankind. The cross was the place of agony and pain. In the garden, God opened up for Christ all of the pain and the weight and the suffering that he was to endure. Matthew records three prayers that Jesus prayed. He said, Oh my Father... If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not I will, but as you will. My Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Matthew says he prayed a third time and he said the same words. The reality of what was coming was upon him. Thirty nine times, the whip would go across. His backside. This, this whip was, was designed by the Romans to inflict the maximum amount of pain and breed the maximum amount of damage to a human body before they would go to crucifixion. The intention was that most of the blood would be poured out, would be wasted at the whipping post, so that when the prisoner would go to the cross... The suffering would not be long on the cross. The cross was about pain. The beating was about wasting out the blood. The the whip had different lengths of leather. Braided into that leather was pieces of bone, pieces of metal. And the intention was that every time a blow was administered to the back, the legs The backside of a person that it would rip into the flesh all the way to the muscular bones. All all the way to to the muscles on the bones. And tear the the very muscles that held the bones together. It was there that, that Jesus went to the beating post for you and I. Not only did they beat him to the point of death, but they placed a crown of thorns on his head. Not just little thorns like you might get out, little briars you might get out in the woods, but but long thorns that, dr- that drove deep into his skull, deep into his his forehead, ripping his flesh. They put a robe around him, this body that had been ripped to shreds. You ever had a piece of cloth or a band-aid or something gets stuck to an open wound and you pull it off and you feel like man that hurt and it just rips open the scab and causes it to start bleeding again. Think about Jesus's entire backside with a garment draped over it and the Bible says they ripped it off of him and took the staff they had given him and drove the crown of thorns deeper on his head. Not only did they mock him Not only did they beat him, but they put him through the worst torment. And then they said to take him off the beating post. And they attached to his arms. They stretched out his arms and attached, tied to his arms, the crossbeam of the cross that he was to carry. After being beat to that degree, he now had to carry the crossbeam of his cross out to Golgotha. And he carries it. We know that he can't make it the whole entire way because he's been beaten so severely. And at the place of crucifixion, crucifixion wasn't wasn't pretty. It wasn't a clean death. They would drive nails, seven, eight inch nails, in through the wrist to attach the arms to that crossbeam. And from there, they would raise that crossbeam up onto the top of the, the wood beam that would hold it into place and drop it into place, the body hanging from the nails. And from there, they would twist the legs so that they could get the feet in the right position to drive a nail between the bones of the feet right in the middle of your foot. It was there in in between the bones of your wrist the body could support itself but it was those small bones in your feet that could hold the weight of the suffocating dying criminal You see when you're hanging on a cross it's not necessarily even anymore about the pain that you're feeling as the nerves in your arms have been severed from the nails the, the pain, doctors tell us that the pain that you would feel in your hand would be absolutely like fire in your hands from the severed nerves. Even causing some hands, because losing the, the nerves, would cause the hands to become like claws and to curl up involuntarily because of, the, of what was taking place. If that wasn't bad enough, it was about the suffocation. Is this making you uncomfortable? I hope it is. That the, the 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 suffocating criminal would then have to push up on the nail in his feet in order to get breath. The Bible tells us that not a bone in his body would be broken. The, the murderers would take A device, a hammer, something, and would break the bones of the legs of the victims so that they would suffocate. That was the point of the broken bones. They went to the other criminals, broke their bones, but Jesus' bones wouldn't break. It had been prophesied that his bones wouldn't break. And so instead, they grab a spear and run it, some say, through the right side of his Thoracic side of his body, which would then have pierced his lung and his heart. We know that from the gospel accounts that the blood and the water poured out, it tells us that he was already dead. Jesus said, No one takes my life from me, I willingly lay it down. Every step of that process, every step of the death was prophesied, it was prepared beforehand. For you and I. Every step of that crucifixion, from the beating to Judas to the death on the cross and how he died, was prepared beforehand for you and I. God ordered the steps of the righteous even unto death. And he used the depravity of man, the wickedness of man to accomplish the sacrifice of the ages that would pay for your sin and mine. In John chapter 8, it says, Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. From the very outset of His ministry, He taught His disciples that the end of this, I'm not coming to be uh, an overtaker of the Roman Empire. I've not come to, to, to overthrow the, the rulers of this age. There's coming a day that that's going to happen. But today, that's, that's not why I'm here. I came to be a lamb led to the slaughter. I came to bring hope in the middle of hopelessness. I came to be a light in the middle of the dark world. He always had that day in view, but in the garden we find that the reality of that set upon him. Like the Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Jesus was brought to the entrance of the furnace. And the father said to him, will you go in? Will you trust me? Will you go in through the furnace? Will you worship me? Will you walk with me in spite of the furnace heat? You know that you're about to suffer. Will you go with me? I, I have a question for you. You know that suffering is coming upon humanity. Will you still walk with him? Will you follow in Christ's example in the middle of suffering? Will you hold on to the hope